Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter movie club for scenery chewers. You put your name in the cupboard of fire. No, sir. You ask one of the oldest students to do it for you? No, sir. You're being stupid. He asked me. You're a wheezy Harry Potter stupid friend. I'm Rita Skeeter. I write for the Daily Prophet. But of course you know that, don't you? Possible for you, Mr. Weasley. Oh, thank you, Nigel. On Christmas Eve night, we and our guests gather in the Great Hall for a night of well-mannered frivolity. You know the solution then, don't you? Go on. Next time there's a ball, pluck up the courage and ask me before somebody else does. And not as a last resort. A rather rare herb, giddy weed. Not something found in your everyday garden. Barty Crouch, Junior. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And I'm Kyle Price Livingston. Kyle's here again. Yep. Woo. Welcome back, Kyle. Special guest. Back by popular demand. Cousin of the podcast, predator expert, etc. So yeah, we watched Goblet of Fire. Uh, We have a lot of thoughts about it. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. Yep. As we learned way back in what episode were you on before, Kyle? We, you were on like the aim something with Amos it was, Diggory. It was the uh, the the post Quidditch World Cup right, uh, right. Uh, episode. So we learned in that episode that this movie, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, was Kyle's introduction to the series. So I think that just having watched this movie. You decided to stick with Harry Potter after that experience? I mean... <laughs> Before we go on, I forgot to say that this podcast contains cursing and spoilers galore. Yeah, Sorry. For this, another... You guys know the drill. You know the drill. Point. Okay, Kyle, what was it like to see this as your first foray into Harry Potter? Um, so as I said last time, I was pretty resistant to the whole thing. I was aware of the Harry Potter phenomenon, uh, but only as something that, like, you and Ethan and Aaron were reading on the floor of the tent on camping trips. Yeah, we were, summer after summer. Um, And uh, I had my big kid books, so the heck with that. And then I got a job as a projectionist at a movie theater, which is, by the way, a great job. If anyone can get that, it's a phenomenal summer job. It's generally, like, dark and people leave you alone and you can watch a lot of movies. Um, So I saw Goblet of Fire, like, 80 (laughs) times. Um, oh my god. So, so you know this movie like frame by frame. Well, so the thing is, I was also running a bunch of other movie projectors. So Goblet of Fire was the best movie that summer in terms of me like stopping in and catching an exciting highlight. And like that's basically all Goblet of Fire is good for. It's not actually a good movie. But every once in a while, if you check it out, you'll see a sweet dragon scene flying around or a bunch of Grindylows dragging <laughs> a French girl. Like it's entertaining um and so i was like okay that was kind of fun and so i i went back and found the other movies i didn't even start reading the books i went back and found the other movies and i sort of got into watching the kids grow up and then that that decided me on getting into the series but it's one of the worst movies in the series also i i had i known uh i would have been much more annoyed (laughs) i think it's the worst i think it might be the worst movie in the series so let's get into why that is we all seem to have had the same reaction to it what doesn't work here well okay first of all it just it makes almost no sense like the scenes seem almost completely unconnected to one another and if you don't know the book not only have you have to have read the book but you have to know the book really really well to like have any idea what any scene has to do with the scene that follows or preceded it I had actually read the book by the time I had seen the movie, unlike unlike the first three movies, I had hadn't read the books yet. And I was I just remember thinking, this would be completely incomprehensible if you hadn't read the books. I mean, even though they sort of streamline Rowling's crazy Rube Goldberg machine plot, even then, like um 
the wand scene with is a good example. With Harry and Voldemort, they bust out the wands, the beam connects or whatever. All of a sudden, these two adults are there, and you're. I guess it's clear that they're Harry's parents because she says like sweetheart, but. That just is, like, out of nowhere, and it's never explained in the movie. Dumbledore mutters, ah, priori incantatum. You saw your parents that night, didn't you? And you're just like... And Harry's like, yeah, and, like, that's the end of the story. I get why that would be hard to shoehorn into a movie, because the last tenth of Goblet of Fire is just various monologues explaining what the hell has been happening this whole book, but I don't know. I guess Goblet of Fire is so crazy that this is a unique challenge for a screenwriter, I'm sure. I'm trying to imagine everybody's in the writer's room. They come in and, like, just thunk, drop Goblet of Fire on the table, and they're like, what the hell are you going to do with this, guys? What do you guys think? So the first few times I was watching Goblet of Fire, I think I, I I just assumed that how disjointed everything feels was because I was coming in every, like, five minutes or so after running around to start a movie projector. But no, it's true. It, there is scenes happen at random. Like there, there are multiple times in this movie where there's a there's just like a smash cut with no explanation, and you jump forward in time to it and and space. Like um, oh the kids the kids walking through the woods with Hagrid. That scene comes out of nowhere. What are they doing in that scene? Where are they going? Why are they with Hagrid? They're singing the Hogwarts theme song. Not theme song. They're like alma mater, the theme song. Every other movie, going down to the woods with with Hagrid is like a big deal. You have to like put on the invisibility cloak and look at the Marauder's Map, conspicuously missing from this entire movie. Oh, God, Um, that's right. He never uses it. But but you, you have to like sneak down there and it's like some crazy reason, like you have detention and you have to figure out what's killing unicorns or something. But in this case, they're just randomly there. It's just like the evening and they're walking through the woods with Hagrid and no one seems to care. Every, all rules are off this year in school. And that's part of the problem. It's not consistent with any with that, the rest of the Harry Potter school years and universe. The rules do not apply in this. Yeah, I think, I think part of it is it's, it's a different director than... Any of the other ones. Yeah. Alfonso Cuaron only directed one as well. But that one had such a unique feel and look that it influenced every movie after it and this one just sort of feels like it doesn't really fit no it doesn't fit at all and even the characterizations of a lot of the characters are different like they act differently in this movie yeah it's totally jarring uh, i would say um yeah i very much agree that because it's such a flawed book it's set up then to be a very flawed movie but the creates flaws it didn't need to create in order to address flaws in the book that are not addressed. Are any flaws from the book fixed in the movies? I can't, what, what's better? There's a couple of scenes that make a little more sense, I think, in the, like a couple. They spend way longer lingering on the conversation between the teachers of like whether Harry should be allowed to compete which is like a conversation I wondered why they didn't have. Like when McGonagall is like, no, just fucking keep him out of this thing. And, and they're then, like... And Snape makes the suggestion, we should see how this plays out. To right. To draw whoever, to draw out whoever is behind this. Which like that actually gives more of a motivation. Yeah. It seems horrible, but that's totally in keeping with everything Dumbledore and Snape do. Right. Yeah. So, that's a logical scene. I think it makes more sense to have Neville directing Harry to the Gillyweed than Dobby just randomly apparating in Harry's room and saying, I solved all your problems, dude. Yeah, Dobby is a wonderful addition in the book. Dobby's one of the better parts of the book, but also Dobby's like crazy deus ex machina behavior is just like often inexplicable, I would say. Yeah. So it's kind of disappointing that the house elves aren't in it but that is a choice that i understand does actually streamline the plot i mean there are so many like just gears in this plot that they had to like strip it down from a they had to take it from like a crazy internal combustion engine to just a simple uh, whatever simpler than that i was gonna say can you finish this analogy (laughs) something uh to a steam engine no, is that, that that's not internal combustion. Wow, I do not Can know you just science. Stop. You're okay. done. 
Um, I, I think I also think the death of Barty Crouch is somehow handled better in the in the movie than in the books. Like I'm, they've written themselves into a corner, right? Because it makes no sense to impersonate Alistair Moody and not Barty Senior. But we'll 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 come back to that. But the uh, I loved the Moody doing the David Tennant tongue flick. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Being Barty off, and then him realizing that oh god, I've cracked, and then Barty dying. Like we understand that it's much more clear than that super murky. Like Barty staggers out of the woods, and, and he like, like Help! stuns <laughs> Victor Crumb, and yeah, you're right. That's a much clearer sequence of events. Also, finding Barty dead makes more sense than finding Barty stunned, and later on off stage he dies. Oh like, yeah, that's why they're in the woods on their random hike. Right, but I, I wish we'd had an explanation for the rando hike. There's, that that's not been- why they're in the woods. There's no reason they're in the woods given whatsoever. There's got to be scenes that ended up on the like cutting room floor. Because there's no way anybody thought that that made sense. No. That's, that's not screenwriting. They if, must if. have chopped it up. You know, a, one other thing that I do like is I like, I like the idea that Ron knows about the dragons and like, doesn't tell Harry and that like escalates their conflict that I thought was like a really interesting touch their fight was good I think that was written and acted pretty well yeah I mean this movie's not a total wash it has flashes of interesting characterization and there yeah there's like scenes that work I think the unforgivable curses scene is pretty excellent yeah uh, and captures the mood and message of that part of the book really well Hermione's reactions are much stronger in the movie to that scene than in the book. And I think that's like good Hermione characterization. I think that she and the idea that she would react with like disgust to that behavior. I like that more people are wary of Moody in the movie. Like I like that Hermione is like this guy seems like a fucking psychopath. And like yeah he's really scary. He sets off the ceiling somehow when he yeah, walks yeah, into the Yeah, what the, the fuck is that? That is such a weird moment. And then he, like, gets the lightning into his wand somehow. And then at some <laughs> point he goes, damn ceiling. Yeah. Like, like, uh, you never see the ceiling react to anybody else. It, again, it looks cool. It's like a moment of cool magic. But, like, is the ceiling a dark detector somehow? Like, and That's it, what I was wondering. Why is Dumbledore not concerned? And what did he do to get the lightning into it? That was so cool. But what was it? But what was it? It's not. <laughs> it's not magic with any precedent or any antecedent. Like right. At least make up like a weird pretend Latin word for us. That's all I need. Just like oh, that's the lightness Sparko spell. That'd be fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the other thing that doesn't make sense about Moody, and this is true of the books too, but like especially in the movie, is he's so fucking conspicuous. Like, why would Barty Crouch constantly draw incredibly intense attention to himself? The ferret scene—it's just like, just be cool, dude. Also, when he puts. Malfoy ferret in like crab or goyle's pants that's disgusting that's not okay no that's really disturbing so yeah i'm just the whole time i'm like moody just like be like yeah, have no. some and, fucking and, chill and, and that's a really good i think the performance of moody is strong but it runs into the same problem as the book where you've grown to really like this character and then the rug is pulled out from under you and then the acting other than the weird tongue flip is like almost exactly the same in the subsequent movies. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a huge problem. But we've been over that. The CG owls have improved. Yes. They looked really nice. They're better. Okay, let's talk more about what is just not at all functioning here. I have a question about port keys. Yeah? All right, so the Triwizard Cup's a port key, and it's set to take you to the graveyard. From the center of the maze, you grab it, and it takes you to the graveyard. I get that. First of all, are port keys always two-way? And second of all, why doesn't it drop him in the middle of the maze? Why does it drop him in front of the audience? That happens in the book, too. Yeah. I don't I know. Why. So there was actually a recent Tumblr discussion about this because in the book, we're meant to understand in the early, in those Quidditch World Cup chapters that they're one way. They're generally one way. So some people have theorized that Voldemort was planning to take the port key back to Hogwarts. And, like, start the war right then and there? Yeah. Maybe disguised as Harry, maybe disguised as something else. 
I don't... Except he would have had to... That doesn't make any... That theory doesn't make sense, though, because he's prepared to use the killing curse on Harry, and you need a live person to make, like, a polyjuice potion. I th- or Why wouldn't he just come back in full Voldemort? I don't understand that, either. I, I, I don't know. The, That's the maybe fan you theory? Can, that is a fan theory. Okay. Maybe you can make a port key go two ways. I don't see why not. You know what's funny in the movie? Oh, go ahead. Do a slightly different location. Yeah, I, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Like, just a few hundred yards in a different direction. That well, happens in the book, too. He comes outside the maze. No, I know. It doesn't make yeah, any sense. I, well, the other thing that's hilarious in the movie is when there's the Death Eater riot, and Mr. Weasley is like, find the boot! Back to the port key! And they're just, like, scrambling madly to find, like, one, like, old garbage boot in the, like, rubble of this riot. Well, the scene where they land, what happens to the boot? Like, they're all holding it, and they're like, let go of the boot. And That's then it's gone. Uh, the, the boot just gets, like, thrown into, like, limbo between, like, time and space or whatever. I it's don't know. It's some, like, Tesseract shit. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where the boot is. I don't know why they look for the boot to go back. I don't, I don't know why they just abandon Harry. Like, Harry gets, like, stampeded, and it's like... And he wakes up in the charred ruins of the Quidditch World Cup like, encampment. hours and hours later, and nobody has, like, come back for him. And it's like, this is Harry Potter, you guys. Jesus Christ. Yeah, y'all have one job. Yeah, Literally you, you do. You have one job on Earth. All of you. So in the movie, Voldemort organizes the Death Eater march. I had forgotten that part. He's like, okay, let's do this plan, but first... Get the band back together. Yeah. Inside a sports riot. Yeah. But he, so he plans it, but he doesn't tell the other Death Eaters that he's actually back. He like no. organizes it remotely, but they still seem surprised to see him. He's like foreshadowing or something. He's teasing it. He's I don't know. He's just like riling them up. Yeah, it's like a teaser trailer. Who? Who is riling them up, though? Like I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Like who's who's organized this rally for Voldemort? Barty Junior has. He says like set off my mark and get the. But he. But no. Yeah. But Barty Junior can't because Barty Junior is in hiding. He says so, find the old followers or something. Doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, but he yeah. doesn't. I, I Barty doesn't like appear to them because none of them know he's back. So. I don't know how Barty somehow like behind the scenes is just like whispering in people's ears like what if we tortured muggles tonight like I mean there's not even the that part of it oh that's right they're it's just, just they're a just riot. like marching they just got their tiki torches and they're marching through the the World Cup yep you will not replace us they chant I feel like I had heard that originally the Quidditch World Cup wasn't even gonna be in the movie but there was like such a fan. I seem to remember that there be, there was, like, kind of a fan uproar. So the compromise they made was to make a five-minute scene of nonsense and nothing where, like, you don't see the game. You just see this, like, giant jumbotron of Victor <laughs> Crumb, like, pumping his fist. To nothing. No one's even chanting at that point. It's just no. just silence, which is the most Jersey thing I've ever seen. <laughs> He is kind of like a Guido a little bit. It's more than like an Eastern European badass. That is that part. Most things in the Wizarding World are sort of steampunk, but then they have this like sleek. It's like a FIFA like, stadium. Oh, yeah, it looks like an Olympic stadium. Like it's gorgeous. It does look like the Sydney Opera House, right? Um, I like that Arthur has nosebleed seats though in the movie. Should he those sitting be in the good box. seats though? Surely you want to be higher up to watch. Yeah, they fly. Being near the ground is the nosebleeds. Wow, the Malfoys are idiots. Like, being (laughs) close to the field is totally useless because they fucking fly. We're courtside. Too bad the game happens 100 feet in the air, yeah. So, let's talk about the three mains because we haven't talked about Harry literally at all. Because Harry (laughs) is kind of a non-entity He's like incidental to this movie. (laughs) A thing I noticed, and Alex, you pointed this out as well, is that the casting is like, I mean, they they couldn't have possibly predicted this, but it's kind of shitty because Harry and Hermione have incredible chemistry. Those two actors are really, really strong together, and they seem like pretty in love the whole time. And Ron has no chemistry with Hermione. And Rupert Grint, I think, gives a good performance. Yeah, he's a great actor. I actually really enjoy him. 
But he and Hermione have nothing going on. Yeah, Harry and Hermione almost have like a physical chemistry. They do. They spark. I'm kind of, I'm like bummed out for the casting because they, like I said, they couldn't have predicted that, but more than in the books, in the movies, I really want Harry and Hermione to end up together. Yeah. Oh, and in real life also. Well, yeah. Fuck Ron. Actually, Ron, (laughs) Ron has this great line that's not in the book. Harry is like, you're being really stupid. And Ron goes, yep, that's me, Ron Weasley, Harry Potter's stupid friend. And I was just like, correct. That is indeed you, bro. <laughs> Way to say the soft part loud. Yeah. Seriously. And they basically ditched all the meathead Ron Vila scenes. Well, not all of them, but a bunch of them in this well, movie. Well, because there aren't they, Vilas. They just Fleur's just, get, just hot. They had to get rid of the Vilas. I actually like her casting because I like that she's kind of like athletic. Like, I like that she looks more like a tennis player. I'd settle for her thing like athletic results in the movie she's terrible in the competition yeah she really is she's too terrible like she's she's doesn't do great in the book but in the movie she's just like totally inadequate to the task and it's like why did why did you even get picked you're Certainly the best someone is Bobaton has yeah like yeah what's with the choreographed the choreographed entrances they look cool in the movie they're just i like them I really like, like that. Like, you guys like ceremony. that part? You know, like... Host- yeah, it's like the opening ceremony of the Olympics. But when the birds, like, fly out of their sleeves... The only- it's pretty gender. see them do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We don't see the Beaubaton do shit. That's true. All right, fair enough. Um, This is unrelated, but it's another Victor Crumb comment. So in the maze, when he's imperious and his eyes are all, like, glazed over in that scary way... And you're just like, if this is what people look like under the Imperius charm, how could you guys not tell? That was my question, too. Um, I was talking off camera to uh, my wife, who's uh, Maya, who's a, also a huge Harry Potter fan. And she said that in addition to being Imperius, he'd been blinded so that he wouldn't know what he or be able to tell what he was doing. I, I'm not sure why. Anybody. That's a lot of steps. That's a lot of steps. I kind of like that theory. Yeah, because it's weird. Right? Is Maya there? Does she want to play? She's coming. She's changing a diaper. The life of a mom. All right, Kyle, what else? Oh, other other problems that I have? Oh, well, okay. So whoever did the costumes for this movie was really into, like, cool, like, fall fashions. And, like, all the wizards, like, Ron included, look like they're dressed out of it. Even his Weasley sweater looks like it's, like, out of an L.L. Bean catalog. Nobody wears robes for most of the movie. They're just, like, dressed in this, like, beautiful... Harry has no muggle money. <laughs> like, who... None of them have muggle money. Who is shopping for them? Miss Weasley right. would not buy this stuff. Where, where are they getting, like, J. Crew sweaters? Like, how is, is this happening? Look, it all looks cool, and I want everything Ron is wearing. But I also feel like I could buy everything Ron's wearing, because it's, like, modern muggle apparel. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It's the Glad Rags fall line. Um. Well, speaking of the styling of the characters, everybody has really weird hair this Except year at Hogwarts. This is the Who bad hair year. Fabulous. Yeah, yeah Hermione, well. this is the year, Hermione, you're just like, okay, we have totally lost the thread of Hermione ever having been, like, ugly or, like, silly looking. I know, it's crazy, because when you get to the dance scene, which is another pretty good scene, everyone's like, oh my god, is that Hermione Granger? And you're thinking, she's looked like this the entire movie! She looks yeah. exactly she's Emma Watson! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She didn't even take glasses off. No. So now Maya's here, and she is... Kyle's wife and another cousin of the podcast, and she is a big Harry Potter fan too. So now she is going to talk with us about movie four as well. Did you watch it as well? Yes, I've watched it many times. Um, I mean, I I have to agree. Like, it's not one of my favorite movies. It's I don't. Yeah, there's a lot of it that I don't love, and it doesn't feel like the normal year. But you know, it's still Harry Potter. <laughs> That's, I come that's... down there too. Is it's like it's still a Harry Potter movie. I would still watch it like every day. Yeah, I enjoyed myself. I but I was also thinking this is like pretty bad. This I'm... is like objectively not I don't a know. good movie. Yeah, it's where the Kyle's right. The highlights are better than the uh, right. than the actual game. I actually think coming in every five minutes would make it like more enjoyable. Oh, it's very exciting that way. Mm. Can can you explain the the crumb in the maze eyes bit? 
from your perspective? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think you were saying you think he's under the Imperius curse. And I, I don't do. I don't think that's what's going on. I think he's probably been hit by some spell that's blinded him and is like kind of confused him. So Miranda was just saying that, like the confundus charm. Mm. Um, but I, I think he's like, I think he's partially blind in that moment and is just kind of shooting spells at random. So I don't think he means to attack Fleur. I don't think he knows who Fleur is in that moment. I don't think he sees Harry when Harry wanders by him. He definitely doesn't. See, well, or he sees Harry and he's imperious to not, you know, to yeah. not to attack Harry because. Yeah, but I, I just, I just don't think he can see Harry. Hmm. So I think because Harry's not making a noise, I think Fleur probably made some noise and he reacted to the noise and he's just like scared and attacking anything that he thinks is around him in that hmm. moment. Okay. That makes way more sense because we were just saying if he's imperious and imperious curses do that to your eyes then you would easily be able to tell who absolutely everyone would know and they'd be like oh his eyes are all wonky he's obviously under the imperious curse yeah it doesn't that that is a much more logical explanation uh it was impossible to tell who was doing the dark lord's work and who had like glaucoma or whatever <laughs> uh, screenwriter, I guess you have to find some way to visually communicate that something is up with Crumb. You have to like visually c- communicate that in the movie. So like this whole movie is a problem of conveying information in like an extremely compressed space. That's a problem of adaptation in general, but true. But there's like specific things that this movie really needed to be better at communicating. For example, so this is for all intents and purposes. A, a tournament movie, right? It's it's not supposed to be stylistically that different from something like uh, Bloodsport, the next Kumite, or uh, or uh, uh, Dodgeball. So you like you're supposed to see the scenes in those movies of the competitors as well. You're supposed to see other people competing, or at least get like a montage explaining how everybody's doing. We're at the one hour thirty eight minute mark in this movie before we even hear about points or positioning. You have no idea after the first challenge who's done what, who was successful, how Harry did relative to everyone else. It's very difficult to keep the thread of the competition going. And then even after uh, the second challenge where they're like, the winner of the challenge is Cedric Diggory and Harry Potter came in second place. That's great. You still don't hear how they're doing overall. Uh, Not until the maze starts do you hear like, Cedric and Harry are tied for first. Are they? This is this is the first I heard of it. That's totally true. We don't even get a training montage. No. Even like of practicing the Osseo charm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's super important too. Yeah, it comes up multiple times. It deserved like a rocky song and a train. The Harry Potter movies, I'm realizing now, are missing a training montage. No, there's a training montage in Order of the Phoenix when they're all learning Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there's a training montage in um, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban where they're learning the the ridiculous charm. Oh, that's a great scene. There's even training music in that one. Yeah, that's true. There does need to be a lot more explanation because Voldemort's plan to like get Harry to the graveyard. It doesn't make sense in the book, but in the movie, you're just like, I don't understand why he has to do all this shit. Just like have Moody like turn something into a port key. And hand it to him. Yeah. Oh yeah. At any point in the movie, there's no reason they have to go through all the tournaments. If Moody just wants to get him to Voldemort. And and at if, any point. And if you're dedicated to this tournament thing, Moody is the wrong person to impersonate. Barty Sr. is in charge of everything. You've already got him. One would assume you're much better at imitating your own dad, who you've seen, like, every day of your life, than a dude you've met literally (laughs) twice. Like, at any point, you don't need to replace Moody. He doesn't help you. The only reason Moody gets to place the Triwizard Cup and turn it into a portkey and everything is because he's killed Barty Sr., be a whole lot easier to just be Barty Sr. My mind is blown by that. You are so right. Wow. That's not yeah. a movie problem. That's a fundamental plot problem. Okay, but as Moody, Crouch Jr. gets to keep an eye on Harry all year and gather, like, intel for the Dark Lord. But what kind of intel? He's intel? a kid. That's true. What is he learning about it's it? Like, <laughs> oh my god, he likes Chuck Chang and I think she likes him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, I was about to say. He's giving Voldemort uh, the play updates. by play on Voldemort's show. like, 
do you really have to tell me everything that happened at the Yule Ball? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a Yule Ball question. So McGonagall's teaching the Gryffindors to dance. Who's teaching the Slytherin? Uh, Snape. I think Snape can probably... Snape is, like, pretty graceful in the movies. I As great as the McGonagall teaching everybody to dance scene was, I think I would rather see Snape teaching the Slytherin. I think the Snape-Slytherin scene is, like, that is a profoundly missing scene you're right you know the thing about Snape let's talk about him for a second because we've said this on every movie mini the reason people like Snape and the reason people find him redeemable is because Alan Rickman is utterly delightful every minute of screen time he gets he is so funny and Snape in the books is so dour and so awful and so mean. Like the scene where Snape is like hitting them in the head increasingly hard to get them to shut up is so funny. He gets at Snape's wicked sense of humor, which I like. Oh, he's phenomenal. And you know Alan Rickman is a phenomenal ball, was, sorry, R.I.P., buddy, a phenomenal ballroom dancer. Because he just had- There's no way he can't dance. Dude was in Sense and Sensibility. Oh, that's right. I was going to say, he was in way too many Jane Austen adaptations. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To not know how to waltz. That's true. I mean, but so is Maggie Smith. Actually, the scene I want to see is Maggie Smith and Alan Rickman dancing together to teach the whole school. Then it just bec- it just becomes a ballroom dance movie. Yeah, basically, I want it to be ballroom blitz. Yes, please make that movie. <laughs> Love that. Just Hogwarts learns to dance for a year, and that's it. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Um. Okay. A couple of other performances that we really like. I think Rita Skeeter is excellent. I like her sexy, like, hitting on the boys thing. It's, like, gross, but, like, she kind of, like, shimmies at Victor Crumb, and it seems very, like, in character. I just think that she plays it off, like, she's a great Rita. It does make that covered scene feel even more predatory. Yeah, which I like. Oh, the covered scene's really good in the movie. It is really good. Daniel Radcliffe does a phenomenal job of looking super uncomfortable. I mean, maybe he actually was. It's a it's close quarters. There's nothing about her being an animagus in the movie, though, right? She's just a regular person. Yeah, just she's just an obstacle. Yeah, she's, she's just a mini bad. We yeah, we're missing that whole, but that's okay. I mean, she's still like pretty great. There's so many fucking plots in the book that they had to just keep like three, three of them. Hey, how can we never see the squid? Sorry, uh, it, it's out. We can come back to that. Yeah. Oh, well, Jesus. We need two Grindelow scenes during the second challenge. We can't. We can't get Grindelows and then Squid. We know it's in there. Like. I know. It's a like. It's a huge missed opportunity in like every single one of them. Like, you just never see this thing. And how fun would it be to like do the CGI squid like clearly these guys are flexing their computer generated I know chops. we've got like a 25 minute dragon the dragon chase. scene is the longest scene in the movie by such a huge margin and they can't figure out how to end it they're so into making the dragon they can't even write like a sensible ending for it uh smack fell into the crevasse does he die <laughs> does the dragon die does Harry kill the dragon yeah to it. Rod refers to Harry as a dragon slayer later. Is that tongue-in-cheek or does the dragon freaking die? These are all mothers with clutches of eggs. These are full-grown female dragons. They are essential to the magical food chain, I would assume. Yeah, the ecosystem, certainly. You'd think Hagrid would be pissed oh, if uh, also Hagrid Harry would just, be devastated. If Harry just executes a Hungarian horntail. Well, not to mention <laughs> Charlie Weasley. Yeah. Who'd be like, dude... That's my fucking pet, bro. Yeah, this thing is an endangered species. I'm sure there's a magical department of, like, environmental protection. Maybe not. I don't know. No, there's just environmental elimination. Yeah, that's true. They do have a committee literally dedicated to killing animals, so. Also, could we not get an unbreakable charm on that chain? How? I mean, Yeah, the dragon just busts loose like, the chain. Like, after <laughs> one minute, the dragon is like, fuck this thing. <laughs> It barely tugs on it. And then you've got a dragon loose. And it half destroys the castle. And everyone <laughs> in the stands is like, oh, I'm so scared for Harry. You're, you're sitting in wooden stands like 80 feet up in the air with a dragon flying around. Yeah, you guys are, you guys are screwed. <laughs> well, you know what's also weird? There's that, there's that part of the scene where Harry is like trying to reach his broom and the dragon is like creeping around the wall like clinging on 
It's like in the words of Tracy Jordan, don't you know you can fly? <laughs> Have some self-respect, dragon. Stop eating old french fries. Guys, we got to talk about Dumbledore. We do. Because this is the famous meme. Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Put your name in that Goblet, Harry! Did you have someone else do it for you? Wait, it would have yeah. been that easy? <laughs> yeah, That's it's like Dumbledore thing. is not show that much faith in his age line there. <laughs> uh, yeah, like what? Uh, but I mean, mostly J.K. Rowling, as as millions of people on the internet have pointed out, J.K. Rowling uses too many uses adverbs. Uses too many. She uses adverbs, but you know the stage directions are right there. It says Dumbledore said calmly. So calmly. Right. This the, is the opposite of calm. The I, characterization I would say. of yeah. Dumbledore in this movie is really weird. There's multiple scenes where he like can't control the student noise. Like he has to be like silence, 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 and it's like that's not how Dumbledore really operates. Yeah, it's very. I took the counterintuitive take last movie mini by saying that I liked Michael Gambone in Prisoner of Azkaban because I thought he got at chaos Dumbledore. Yeah, Dumbledore's sort of weird, like winking. I'm just here for drama aspect. But in this one, uh, I I don't know. It's not a great performance. It's just a weird performance. It's very strange. And some of that is they weirdly had, because Ludo Bagman had to be eliminated for brevity and logic purposes, they had to make Dumbledore the weird showrunner for the whole tournament. He's like doing the play-by-play. He hates the tournament. It's all it's all very strange. I get why they had to cut Ludo Bagman for brevity's sake, but it feels weird. Well, he like hates the tournament, but he's also like weirdly hamming it up when he unveils the goblet. He says, "Eternal glory awaits oh, he <laughs> yeah. who wins." Yeah, it's a weird Dumbledore. Like, Dumbledore's like, "Test your might." It's very out of character. Of uh, well, everything he does is very out of character. Well, everyone on the internet agrees with this, but yeah. uh, I just thought that we had well, maybe not everyone. I hate it when people are like, the internet thinks this, the internet thinks that. The internet is everyone. Yeah. But not whatever. a hive mind. I would say the majority of people do not like this characterization. I remember a friend of mine in high school was so pissed at this Dumbledore. Yeah. Yeah. Like, actually angry? Yeah, it was like, this ruined his whole year. I'm sorry, that ruined this for you? Not the fact that its plot is just utter nonsense? Dumbledore, for all his problems, is like, he's the beating heart of these books in a right. lot of ways. He ha- that Dumbledore has to be done well, that's true. So. I mentioned this on the, on the previous uh, podcast that I was on, um, but it's, we weren't on the chapter, so it didn't really <laughs> make sense. But, so... They're wondering who put Harry's name in the goblet, and they have a time machine. Just, like, just go back a couple hours and watch who puts Harry's name in the goblet, right? You don't even need to shout at him. You can just (laughs) check. That seems like an ethical and appropriate use of a time turner. Yeah, we have the technology. It's basically, like, what's it called? What's the, like, big controversial thing in sports ball where, like, you look back at the tape? Just instant replay. Instant replay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, issue a challenge. Use the time turner. Go All back. as well. Yeah, Carker like, challenge. We're going to need to see who put his name in that goblet. <laughs> no time will pass. It will be instantaneous for everyone but the person who watches. Yeah. Alas. I have a question. What do we think of Cedric? He's so pretty. He, he is, really is he pretty. He is beautiful. Luckily, he gets to go on to a second life as a vampire after this movie. Yeah, he comes back, so that's fine. <laughs> You know, he doesn't have much to do. Weirdly, he drops out of a tree in the first scene we see him. He's just up in a tree. He's like, he just, plunk. This is my son, Cedric. Which later Draco does. Everyone is in trees yeah, in this movie. multiple people fall out of trees as their, like, entrance. His mom's not dead in the books, right? It's just in the movie. No, he has a, that's why, that's why I thought when we read through the first time that Amos was... A single dad. A single dad, because she's not in the movie. And the, the the actor who plays Mr. Diggory is really gives a really nice performance with like not a lot to do in the movie, I think. Well, and he doesn't say bring my body back to my parents. He says bring my body back to my dad too. Well, I in the movie at least took to mean that his mom is not right. she's not there to watch the final of the Triwizard tournament. So like Yeah. Alright, so movie movie Amos is a single dad. Yeah. I love him. Well, I love slash hate 
him out there at the beginning of the maze scene, psyching Cedric up. He's like the first one out of the tunnel. It's like a fan getting to like lead a professional team out onto the field. He's like super amped. Yeah, he is super <laughs> amped. It's adorable. I think Cedric, I wish he had more to do because, but he's still, I think um, Robert Pattinson really does get at the sort of like earnest goodness. Hufflepuffiness of him. Yeah. Although, you know what doesn't make sense is that scene in the maze where they're like fighting to get to the cup first and like they're like beating the shit out of each other briefly and then Cedric gets like attacked by the maze and Harry realizes that he like doesn't actually want Cedric to get like swallowed by hedges. That's like really different from what happens in the book which is they like collaborate the whole time. Yeah, that's true. It looked like uh, when they're like sort of like hand fighting, like running down the the maze uh, line, that uh, it, it looked like two soccer players going for going for a ball. Um, when it's like a contested ball, there's like a lot of like elbowing and shoving that's just considered all in good sport and like part of the. I thought it it sort of looked like that. That makes sense. But yeah, it is not in keeping with how nice they are to each other about the challenges the rest of the book where they're like constant even in the movie they're like constantly tipping each other off another character that i just eternally love is moaning myrtle i just she her performance is so funny harry gets sexually harassed by a ghost he does yeah she has amazing body control for like someone who's intangible to be able to like realistically lean against someone's chest it's really impressive i was thinking about that and not just like fall through him she's had like 50 years to practice yeah he does he gets like borderline sexually assaulted by a ghost like she's like trying to grope him in the book she talks about occasionally getting flushed out into the lake which like i have a lot of questions about that so hogwarts plumbing just drains into the lake that doesn't seem great people live there actual like sentient beings live there and also, how do you flush someone with no mass? How does she get flushed out of the pipe? How does the water affect her at all? In the movie, she dives into the tub, creepy, but there's no disturbance of the bubbles or water. Which makes sense. Yeah, that right. makes total sense. There's sort of a reaction when she like taps the open egg, the like bubbles in the egg move away from her finger, but that could be explained by magical energy nonsense, I guess. But yeah, it's the leaning against him that's really weird. She like does and doesn't have mass. Kyle. Who's your unsung hero? Oh, it is definitely Flitwick, played by the incomparable Warwick Davis, who is in almost all of my favorite movies ever. He gets a ton of awesome uh, conductor duty in this one, which is great. He obviously really loves it. And he also has amazing pain tolerance. There's like a lot of times in the books where errant charms and spells will send him like flying through the air. And he's always pretty much fine. The students pick him up, dust him off. In this one... Hagrid puts a fork through his hand and he's just like, quit it. Just like, hey guy, watch what you're doing. I would like, I would scream in pain. I would jump up from the table, which would be really funny given that he would probably be hanging from the table. And then like the cloth would collapse on top of me and all the food would come with it. But he's just, he's just fine. He's, he's an amazing being. Uh, whether or not he's entirely human is never totally explained. But he is pretty damn tough. Yeah. I guess he's meant to be part goblin, maybe? Or, or something. They, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Um, Alex, who's your unsung hero? Once again, David Bradley as Argus Filch. Uh, we get Catwife, which is needed in all of these movies. Uh, more Mrs. Norris, please. Yeah. They have that sweet scene where they dance together at the Yule Ball. Yeah. Filch, uh, I like Filch in this one. He's like, he's good comic relief. He runs really crazy. <laughs> There's that scene where he's like running down the aisle, I guess to alert Dumbledore that Mad-Eye is there. And he just does this like crazy lumbering, like, I don't, I can't describe it. It's just a hilarious run. It's like a Ministry of Silly Walks run. Also, he just can't get the hang of those cannons. Oh, that's a funny bit too. Why do they even have cannons? They don't have guns. They they have the technology. They're just like, nah. Yeah, I don't know why they... I guess they just... As noisemakers, basically. They're just cool looking. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of in keeping with their, like, steampunk aesthetic. Moody is very steampunk. Yeah, his leg is cool. And his eye. Robocop Yeah, it's noises. very strange. Like, it's like... <laughs> he's like a cyborg in the movie. Yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah, the eye is cool. 
I mean, it's it's always it's a great bit of magic, and like every other great bit of magic, it damn near ruins the series. How is someone who wrote a famous fantasy series so bad at writing magic? <laughs> Well, how does she just like leave so many gaping holes in her wake when she invents these cool things and then just doesn't explain like two thirds of the implications of them? Right. Last movie, we got introduced to two powerful magical artifacts, right? We got the Marauder's Map and we got the Time Turner. And they're both totally absent from this movie with no explanation. Just gone. Nobody tells you why. Totally true. My unsung hero is Matthew Lewis as Neville. I actually really like that Neville has a lot more to do in this movie. And I think it's because this actor is starting to come into his own and they like just gave him more to do. He and Ginny like shut down the dance floor and he comes in with his shoes like rakishly slung across his neck. And he's like, I just got in. Me. And then he's just like dancing the night away. I just am so stoked for him. I think he's precious. Real awakening for his character in this movie. He also, I think, breaks into Snape's potions yeah. uh, cupboard and steals that gillyweed. I thought that Moody did it, but when Moody starts talking about it, he's like, you'd think Longbottom would have ever, the witless wonder ever would have thought to get gillyweed if I hadn't given him the book that pointed him at it, which is very different than... I gave Longbottom the gillyweed to give you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he absolutely, he broke into Snape's stores. I like that the scene between them where he's giving him the gillyweed is like, he's a little bit like Harry's dealer. And Harry's <laughs> like, man, I thought you said this was good shit. What do you mean you're not sure if it'll last an hour? Okay, so Kyle, predator scale. So the predator scale is broken down into 10 categories and each category is, is worth a total of 10 points. Um, so out, I get a score out of 100 that tells you how similar a movie is to Predator. Now, I haven't crunched the numbers on this one, but I can tell you the scales it would do really well on. I would say it did pretty well on the Explosions 10-point scale, the Bird Sounds 10-point scale. There were a fair number of bird sounds in every Harry Potter movie because it's full of owl noises. Um, so that's it. That's at least 20 points there. It's, it's not very Predator, although... Um, the un- it does well on the unseen villain scale, you know, because you have no idea quite who the villain is uh, for for most of it. I think on the governor's scale, Predator has um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura in it, both of whom went on to be governors of U.S. states. It's one of the few movies that has two future governors in it. So uh, I, I count that. And I would say that particularly Emma Watson springs to mind in terms of in this people from this movie who have had a real world political or social impact. <laughs> uh, so I would probably do fairly well on that one. I would say it's probably a mid-range semi-predator movie. There's a lot of things missing. It doesn't have a lot of cool one-liners in it, which is a real failing in any movie. But uh, it's pretty good. The soundtrack's really good. It's pretty epic and exciting. Yeah, I think I think it's fairly Predator. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you for that. Does it make more or less sense than the movie Prometheus? Oh, nothing makes less sense than Prometheus. I, I hated Prometheus. I was so frustrated with that movie. Prometheus looked gorgeous and nothing made any kind of sense. I came away much more confused about that universe than I went into the movie. And I went into the movie filled with questions. Alex has been comparing a lot of Harry Potter to Prometheus. Maybe you should have a Prometheus scale. I should. You should develop one. Most things would beat Prometheus for logic and continuity. continuity. But Goblet of Fire gets close to failing the Prometheus test. Yeah, it does. It comes perilously close. Hey, I have a, a just a quick Prometheus question. So you are, you're a trained space person of some type who uh, is on uh, a mission with, and you supposedly have, one would assume, pretty good sort of uh, spatial reasoning. There's a large ring rolling towards you that will crush you if it hits you. Do you A, run away from the ring in the direction the ring is coming, or B, run off to the sides knowing that a ring will never be able to roll out of its little divot thing and crush you to the sides i i, I guess these for, for these people the way to escape the ring is just to like jog slowly away <laughs> <laughs> down its little down its little track uh hey you know it's the uh what i can't I, no it's the unjustifiable the moment, yeah it can't be justified um all right this was a rollicking good time thank you y'all this is We have some Quibbler announcements, so we are now officially done. Thank 
the good lord in heaven with Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And we are going to take a little bit of a hiatus. It's been real. We're going to be back. But this is a lot of work. And Alex and I both have super real full-time jobs. And, you know, shit's going down. And it's about to be the holidays. And, you know. So we may have a couple of one-off episodes in the meantime. But we are going to start Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix in January. So sadly, you all will be without the Quibbler for a couple of months, except for maybe a couple of little special somethings. And uh, yeah, we'll be back probably like midway through January with a very excellent and the longest book in the series, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. I'm ready for it. Yep. It'll be a little while, so I hope you guys can wait. In the meantime, please still send us emails, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. Please follow us on social media. We're at Quibbler Podcast pretty much everywhere. Rate and review the podcast and subscribe to it, please, wherever you find them. If you don't subscribe, you won't know when we come back, so there is a really good incentive to do so. Yeah, I think... That's pretty much it. We will see you guys in a few months. This week's episode is brought to you by Nigel, the random kid in this movie who is Ron's like weird butler. He's like both creepy brothers, but with a different name. <laughs> Basically. So. Kyle, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, amigos. You put your name in the cupboard of the fire. No, sir. You asked one of the oldest students to do it for you? No, sir. You're entering a world of pain, son. We know that this is your homework. We know that you stole a car. And the fucking money. And the fucking money. And we know that this is your homework. I cut your dick off, Larry. You're killing your father, Larry. Harry, when the connection is broken, you must get to the port key. We can linger for a moment to give you some time, but only a moment. Do you understand? Run! Go! Get to the chopper!